Do you like to learn about random wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about narcissism. Our guest is Betsy Webker. Betsy is a writer and an entrepreneur who, like many of us, was baffled by aspects in her primary relationships, and she wanted answers. About eight years ago, this led to co-authoring her first book, The Narcissist, A User's Guide, which identified problem personality characteristics and suggested strategies. After realizing similar difficulties existed in the workplace for many people, she co-authored a second book, The Narcissist at Work. Her most recent effort, The Narcissist You Divorce, is a quick read which will help you get into the mindset you'll need to successfully extricate yourself and protect your children during what might be a protracted legal and emotional conflict with a former partner. Information on purchasing all three of these books for download, for other helpful resources, go to her Facebook page, The Narcissist. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. I, I really hope this conversation will be helpful to listeners. I think it'll be very helpful. I've already mentioned to several people, yeah, I'm going to have this episode about narcissism, and everyone goes, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Yeah, <laughs> But good. But good. So tell us about your journey. Um, you know, in your bio, you say that it led you to co-authoring all of these books. So um, share with us what you went through. Well, it seems like there's always more to learn about narcissistic behavior, particularly when you're first starting to learn. And it also seems when you're first starting to learn that the prevalence of narcissism in modern life is increasing. Mm -hmm. They're everywhere. You know, once you've learned to recognize the behavior, then you're like, oh, my goodness, they're all around me. <laughs> <Totally>. You know, like... <laughs> And I'm actually, I'm starting to question all of my friends. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's all part of the process. Mm. But my personal journey, Michelle, is what led to researching and collaborating and then authorship on the on the subject. And as a younger adult, I wasn't understanding a lot of things. I wanted to know why certain individuals with whom I had close relationships thought that the most outrageous, really shocking behavior on their part was acceptable on pretty much a daily basis. And, you know, I was walking around like a deer in the headlights. I mean, I couldn't believe how these people were acting. And I was exhausted by all the drama. I was walking on eggshells for fear that something would set them off. I was taking on their issues. My personal boundaries weren't healthy. Mm. And I felt like I had to go around and clean up the aftermath when things inevitably blew up. And so I was so tired. I was tired of the emotional abuse and having experienced physical abuse in one relationship. When it appeared that's where another relationship was headed, I wanted out. Yeah. And I, I realized I needed to understand why I was attracted to these people in the first place, what I could do to jump off this emotional merry-go-round. And finally, even most importantly, I was petrified that my kids were adversely affected. I was modeling an inappropriate relationship that wasn't an ideal partnership, and I was fearful that their emotional safety was, was being compromised. So it was an, a huge mess, just... Uh, mind-blowing but even so in all of that darkness I knew there was a better normal 
And so that led you to researching and looking into this and then actually writing a book about it so you could share what you learned with others, right? Exactly. That's how it all started. Mm -hmm. And now, so you don't come from a clinical background, like a psychology background or anything, right? No, no. Um, You know, I'm a curious person. I think human beings are probably the most interesting things on the planet. But this is probably the best place to say that please understand I am not a mental health or legal professional. What we're talking about today will be the conclusions I've reached after more than 30 years of direct involvement with more than one individual who exhibited high levels of narcissistic behavior. I've got more than 10 years of personal research into the subject and of and of course the three books Mm -hmm. so everybody's opinions and experiences on this may vary and that's okay yes what's most important is to recognize the behaviors as they are and then implement the best possible ways of interacting with the narcissist if you must and we're going to cover all of that Hopefully, and, yes. Yeah. If we can get, yeah, I know. I feel like we could we could talk for days and days. <laughs> yeah. You know, and may I just add to that also, if you're in a vulnerable state, enlist the appropriate professionals and supports. You know, you, you're going to want to seek out a psychotherapist who gets these issues, or maybe a lawyer who is experienced with high conflict scenarios. And there are support groups out there like Al-Anon and others that will help you work on you. Mm-hmm. Great. We're going to repeat all of that, everybody out there listening. And, and before we close, we'll make sure we'll provide some resources for Yara. But I want to get into the basics. For people who may not even know what a narcissist is, what is a narcissist? <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with the primary characteristic. And this is a supreme lack of empathy. And this translates into sort of an alternative moral intelligence in a person. So a narcissist just simply doesn't care about other people, except as a source of emotional nourishment. And the professionals call this narcissistic supply. Mm -hmm. So according to professionals... Narcissistic behavior rises to the level of a personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, when there has been, quote, a long-standing pattern that deviates from a cultural norm in the following areas, cognition, affect, interpersonal functioning, and impulse control, end quote. Well, what does that really mean? Okay, Uh, a narcissist will tend towards grandiose behavior. They are just better than everybody else. (laughs) They have an excessive need for admiration. They may seem snobbish, patronizing, and condescending. Um, Perhaps... Or know-it-all. Yeah, they'll know it all. They'll be critical and exploitative. You should be doing this. Right. Or, you know, um, how can I get you to do what I want you to do? (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're envious. They're arrogant. They're highly competitive. You know, they're the best. They, They need to be the best at everything. And they need to let you know that they're the best at everything. And so there's nobody richer, smarter, more attractive blah, 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 has a nicer car, lives in the best neighborhood, you know, um, they'll be contemptuous of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they know, may not even have all of those accoutrements. Oh, no. Oh, no. Dishonesty is um, a very common characteristic. You know, they'll construct this 
fabulous facade of, the, um, you know, I mean, fabulism, the fabulous, it's a great resource to look at, you know, I mean, it's just, they're just intractable liars. And sometimes they can be just inordinately cruel. Mm-hmm. And and that's and that's not even just towards humans too. I've I've come into contact with narcissists who have no empathy towards animals at all. They're like, ah, oh, that's just a dog, right? You know, and I mean, I'm a dog lover, and it's Me like, too. You know, but if you don't like dogs, then I don't like you. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. I'm and with if you. My dog doesn't like you, then I think my dog is a good arbiter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then bye bye. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I love all of these initial traits to look out for. Where should we watch out for them? Well, sadly, narcissists are present in all walks of life, unfortunately. We might have them in our family of origin. You know, they tend to gravitate towards positions of authority. You know, so you'll find them working in law enforcement or the military. Ah. You know, they'll be corporate executives or work supervisors teachers, professors, religious leaders, and of course, politicians. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you said that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we can, that's a whole separate conversation. (laughs) But, you know, they're in the workplace, they're at your school, they're at your church. Chances are in your circle of acquaintances, there is at least one person who behaves narcissistically on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so what actually causes this? Is this because they were raised by a narcissist? Or I mean, is it genetic? How does it happen? Well, um, you know, the researchers theorize, but they they really don't pinpoint exactly one cause or another. There's a complex group of contributing factors, biological, genetic, social, psychological. Many mental health professionals believe that narcissistic behaviors are triggered by some sort of injury to the psyche during childhood. So feelings of abandonment or low worth. Uh, You know, a parent, generally the mother who doesn't give a sufficient amount of attention so the child develops self-preservation behaviors which compensate for that psychic loss wow. so that's one that's one other experts say that excessive recognition or praise which is unaccompanied by actual accomplishments can lead to somebody feeling that they are better than others because of the effortlessness with which they garner all that praise that almost seems worse because then okay. they won't actually work for anything. At least yeah. the other type of narcissist like put some effort in. <laughs> so not only in children, but also in adulthood, we see this sort of narcissism develop in certain celebrities or other prominent individuals, for example. You know, when their rise to notoriety or stardom wasn't necessarily the result of a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. You know? And they have too many yes people around them. Exactly. Yeah. Now, experts point out that having a narcissistic parent is often a predictor. You know, it's what the child models. Mm -hmm. So if daddy berates mommy, then little Johnny thinks it's okay to treat his girlfriend that way. Or little Susie may think that that's how men and women interact. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I was kind of glomming onto that aspect when I feared for my own children. So, and, and then finally, there's this concept of neuroplasticity. And this is where imprinting on the brain creates change at the molecular level from repetitive experiences. So if this is is a viable 
theory, then what you're exposed to repetitively, there might be a case for genetic transfer between generations. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I've actually, it's so funny. I I just had a conversation with someone about this, about um, if somebody has enough trauma, it's almost almost like a PTSD. It gets way into your cells, into your your biology. Yeah, it changes your chemistry, you know, and so that in turn resides in your DNA and that gets passed on to different, you know, the subsequent generations. That's fascinating. So, yeah, it really is fascinating if you can kind of disassociate yourself from your personal experience and, you you know, you start looking into all of this stuff, I mean, you know, you can just get lost. I wonder if that would only then be, let's say there are like three children and only one child is affected by that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, you know, I I think we're going to be finding more and more out about this as research and technology gets more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. How do they diagnose it? Like you said, NPD. How does it get to the point where they know that that's what it is? Okay, well, it's um, referred to as a spectrum disorder. And so it's grouped with a cluster of other personality disorders in which behaviors may overlap or seem similar. And that's kind of a recent development in the diagnostic criteria in the mental health community. So um, this personality disorder is grouped with other disorders into a cluster. And it's The designation is cluster B. So a cluster B, which um, personality type, it's going to exhibit certain behaviors which might vary in intensity. So the behaviors might flare with the trigger event, such as a death in the family or a divorce or a job loss. Anything which threatens that fragile facade we talked about that the narcissist has in place to promote the ways in which they want others to perceive them. Mm -hmm. So here's an example. A spouse has the audacity to divorce the narcissist, for example. That's a crack in the facade. If there's a family tragedy, particularly if the focus is off the narcissist and on someone else, the behaviors might escalate. You know, in times um, of relative emotional stability in the personal sphere, a narcissist might successfully, sorry, suppress the more overt behaviors into more of an equilibrium, you know, so they can flare up, they can subside, you know, yeah, I know. So, you know, you might meet a person, let's say, who has narcissistic inclination or whatever, but they might be in a period of relative stability. And, you know, all of a sudden, you're kind of blindsided later when there's a trigger. So that would explain why some people when they first meet someone, they're like, Oh, I didn't have any red flags. Yeah, everything seemed great. And then that's one. That's one potential explanation. The other explanation is that we're really um, that we that we willingly disregard what might be a red flag because we're so desirous of having the relationship. Mm. And this person um, is is so attractive to us for a variety of reasons in ourselves. Well, let's talk about that um, first. Why are narcissists so charming and attractive? And who is the typical personality type that they attract? Okay. Well, you know, here this this is an interesting part, you know, because if you've worked if you've been involved with a narcissist and, and I have. Yes, and you know, and a lot of us have. Mm-hmm. We're not alone. Both personally and at work. I mean yes. everywhere. And yeah. definitely in my family too. 
Yes. Well, he, this is going to be very interesting. Um, a co it's a codependent relationship. And so, um, you know, in the past, it was described as more a predator-victim kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, the narcissist preys on unsuspecting victims. You right, know, right. Like, oh, but, you know, codependents have some responsibilities in this relationship as well because the relationship forms and prospers when two or, or more parties exist in connection with each other and all are benefiting in some way. So uh, let's let's go a little further with that. A narcissist might be attracted to an empathetic person or somebody that they perceive as having strong personal characteristics such as beauty or prestige because it complements their picture of themselves, right? <laughs> there is um, there are people I know who um, will only date of a certain caliber, right? You know, mm -hmm. they might be a six or a seven, but man, they want that ten. They want the ten, yeah. You know, so they've you know they've got this inflated sense of who they are by comparison with others mm -hmm. you know so it's not really just the classic predator prey relationship that has been over characterized in my opinion i although that can certainly happen uh, with the more malignant positions on the spectrum but the codependent is attracted to the narcissist for similar reasons uh, the self-esteem might be low and they want to be in the periphery of the narcissist's limelight. You know, an example of this might be the political spouse or the pastor's wife, mm. a mentor, mentee in business or academia. Okay. Maybe an older sibling or a sibling with a stronger personality. Mm -hmm. So the codependent is dazzled maybe or perhaps afraid of retribution because they see the narcissist as more powerful interesting so, or yeah. or and I, i'm just thinking aloud here and you can tell me if this would qualify if the person um who would you know traditionally be the victim um is in going through a particularly hard time um maybe has a lost a parent or lost a pet or hurt themselves, injured themselves. And, yeah, and so the narcissist, the predator, uh, comes in to be the hero. Could be. Could very well be. Flip side of that coin is the codependent who sees a wounded inner child in the narcissist, you know, because part of, part of the tactics that the narcissist might use from time to time is playing the victim themselves. Yes. And so, you know, you, you think, oh my gosh, there's so much potential in this person. If we can only just bring them along the road to a healthy, you know, a more healthy. Oh place. my God. So you're not, you're not falling in love with what is you're falling in love with what could be. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know I've done this so many times. Yes. Oh, you yeah. think that you can see, oh, wow, this person is such a warm hearted soul. But why are they so cold to me? I'm going to I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make them love me. <laughs> right. Or this person is so mean and cold to everybody else except me. Mm -hmm. So I must be really special because they are. You know, <laughs> so the narcissist is attracted to the codependent because they feel powerful and in control by comparison, you know, so the dependency makes them feel competent and appreciated. But ultimately what happens is codependents will 
will resent the narcissist, even though they've self-sabotaged by choosing the relationship. And lots of times loneliness or fear or insecurity will keep them where they are in the relationship. And I might add that codependent as a term is somewhat controversial and and in my view that's okay I mean whatever you choose to call the person who is involved with an individual with NPD in this kind of conjugal relationship is fine with me I mean you know we're able to label <laughs> sure. and, you know I mean ultimately we're looking at behaviors you know it doesn't matter do we call somebody a narcissist do we call them a codependent you know we're, we're looking at the symbiosis in the behaviors if that makes sense mm-hmm. that totally makes sense and actually speaking of the behaviors I know you mentioned some of the you know the characteristics or the traits but can you go into more detail like the tactics that they use and you oh, mentioned, sure. yeah, you mentioned earlier too, like the difference, or you mentioned like overt behavior, covert behavior. I want to know more about that. Oh, yeah. Well, this is fascinating too. You know, there are stages to the relationship with the narcissist. Mm. You know, at first they'll make a serious play, they'll pull out all the stops. The relationship intensifies really quickly, and you think, oh my God, this person is amazing. I can't perfect. Fuck. Yeah. You know, you're, you're infatuated on steroids, right? You know, I mean, it's just thrilling because the narcissist whose standards and expectations for others are so rarely met, I mean, they're giving you the nod, oh, but this initial thrill really changes quickly to negative drama and dysfunction. So, um, you know, again, looking at ourselves, if we've been in relationships of these nature, um, we might psychologically equate love with sacrifice and giving, or we might create equate love with drama, you know, and so our, our impression or our judgment might be skewed along those lines, you know, and so that creates a more intense attraction. But eventually what happens is, um, this this devolves into a sort of learned helplessness because the narcissist is the controller, you know, and the codependent is the pleaser, you know, and, and that's kind of what happens as the relationship progresses. Hmm. So um, some additional behaviors, I mean, they'll run the gamut, as you mentioned, between overt and covert. In the beginning of the relationship, they'll employ what is commonly referred to in the community as love bombing. This is the honeymoon period. You know, the person is so fabulous that you can't believe your luck. They go way out of their way for you. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're calling you uh, numerous times per day. You know, they're sending flowers on a daily basis. It's just over the top. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, and your assessment skills are maybe willfully skewed a little bit. And you, and you think to your, you might be thinking, wow, you know, there, there might, isn't there something wrong with this excessive display, but you so want it to work? Well, it's that for me, it was that, oh, gosh, this is the first time that, you know, a guy is really showing me that he's 100% interested in a relationship with me. <laughs> because because the behavior was so intense it was so steady it was so consistent that exactly. i was like oh he must want a relationship exactly but then you start to notice the criticisms yep you know, it start it, it it starts up maybe he'll, he'll you know the, the devaluation of your worth mm-hmm. 
maybe maybe they'll be obsessed with their appearance and yours or other superficial aspects that they perceive are prestigious. So, you know, monetary wealth, flashy toys like sports cars, jewelry, you know, it's ostentatious display. And, you know, maybe maybe they'll want to give you a little makeover. You know, if your hair was a certain way, you'd be so much more attractive. Or, you know what, you're really not dressing appropriately to show off your assets. Uh, you look you look especially thin today. Yeah. What I, did you do different? Mm-hmm. Stuff like or, that. Just kind of like messing with your head. Or, you know, I really don't like your hair cut short. Mm. Oh, I've had, yeah, I've had comments made about how my hair is styled. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or if you just take a little more care with your makeup, you know, or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, and another, that makes me, that makes me boil. I know, right? It's trigger. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, I want to take a quick break to remind you about the special deal that you can get on an audiobook through Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash NOL, you can get a free audiobook download. I've mentioned before, I love, love audiobooks. I just downloaded a new one. As you all know, I'm totally into this whole topic of narcissists right now. And this was recommended to me, as a matter of fact, by Catherine Kerrigan, our guest from last week. And she said, go and get Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. And so I did. And I'm a few chapters in, and boy, I'll tell you, I'm getting a lot out of this. Again, Why Does He Do That? You can download it on Audible. Get your special deal if you're not already on there. AudibleTrial.com forward slash NOL. Back to the show. But here's another one. You know, maybe they'll actually admit to a history of failed relationships that were volatile in nature. You know, and and, and to, to a person, every ex was a cycle. You know, uh-huh. the only common denominator was them. Imagine that. Or maybe there'll be a <laughs> string of jobs that never worked out. You know, same same type of failure. You know, it, whatever it was, it was never their fault. You know, everybody is kind of out to get them and mm-hmm. they're making their way through life struggling and, you know, um, fighting, you know, to maintain a position in life yeah. is hard. And, and then they fall back into that. Um, it's part of their playbook, to my understanding, that they'll then play the victim. So yeah. other, so their next victim will think, oh, poor so-and-so. Exactly, because, you know, invariably a codependent is an empath, mm-hmm. you know, and so you're, you're going to take on that issue and believe it and and it's going to be you and them against the world mm-hmm. you know so it's all those fairy tale fantasies um some other things they might do you know they might be overtly hostile or they could be sarcastic or par- passive aggressive you know and they'll vary these tactics so you'll never know what's coming you know i mean incoming you know right. or they might they might try gaslighting which is a term derived from that classic hitchcock movie starring ingrid bergman called gaslight where her husband uh, attempts to get her to think that she's going insane by reframing the situation and, you know so he t- he's telling her she's wrong about specific things that she has experienced and um you know she 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 thinks she's going crazy mm-hmm. you know and this is 
you know, reframing stuff. No, it didn't really happen that way. No, you're wrong. Oh, no, you don't feel that way. Oh, yeah. That, I've actually, yeah. I've had uh, stories change constantly oh, about exactly. things. Oh, exactly. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're thinking, what planet am I on? You know, maybe I, maybe <laughs> yes. I am, maybe I am assessing things improperly. Right. So you yeah. start questioning yourself and you start thinking, maybe it is me, but yeah, then, it, but, yeah. but it's not, it's not. No. And, you know, so that's cognitive dissonance. You know, they create that, that differentiation between realities, you know, and that can, I mean, you can spiral into that, you know, from that. Yeah. Another thing they might do is um, they they employ sidekicks. You know, there's strength in numbers. So these are other people that they manipulate into promoting whatever the agenda is. In community parlance, this is referred to as enlisting flying monkeys, you know, like the Wicked Witch from The Wizard of Oz. Mm. And so, <laughs> so the narcissist who always needs an echo to bolster themselves. And so they'll triangulate so that they can kind of remain above the fray and the sidekick or the flying monkeys will will wind up doing their dirty work. You know, and sometimes the flying monkeys actually know that they're flying monkeys and other times they you know, they've just been snowed. Interesting. So, yeah. I've seen this happen where oh, friends yeah. yeah, friends will get involved mm-hmm. in things. Um and you know, it's like to this day I, I could I could wonder whether they were put up to it and they were actual flying monkeys or if they were snowed. And they just kind of fell into this play. Right. I tend to think of flying monkeys as, um, you know, sometimes they're well-meaning people, you know, and they just don't want to take sides. You know, they don't want to commit or whatever. But, you know, lack of commitment is really a commitment, you know. And to me, I've you know, I've changed my thinking over the years. And I really think that it's a character flaw, you know, and that's a weak person. And so you've got to decide really whether it's worthwhile to associate with folks who are so weak or not self-aware that they're allowing themselves to be manipulated by this individual. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, the, the upshot is, is whatever the tactic, you're always going to feel like you're inferior to the narcissist. That's mm-hmm. what they're counting on. Um, they'll, they'll, use all of these tactics long term short term they'll size up a situation identify what your buttons are they'll push the buttons (laughs) yes they will this way that you'll be dazed and confused they'll also take advantage of those bystanders even if the bystander isn't a full-fledged flying monkey these folks are gonna prefer not to take sides you know i mean how about this you know you 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 get you decide you're going to divorce your abusive husband and you've got friends who say, well, we want to be friends with both of you. Mm. You know, I mean, that's the Switzerland approach, right? Never works. (laughs) Right. And sometimes the bystanders will actually blame you, the victim. Oh yeah. You know, well, what did you do to provoke behavior? Absolutely. That happened to me um, a long time ago, but um, the friends all thought that it was my fault about exactly. what had gone down and it took years for the real truth to come out it was like several years later maybe like two or three years later when people started coming back and being like oh my god like now we know it wasn't you and so sorry <laughs> I'm like well yeah you know. sorry not sorry right yeah I mean, you know it's very 
you know, the isolation is a tactic that they will use. And, you know, what you experienced was isolation from your friends. And even though they finally saw the light and everything, I imagine it was very, very difficult to resume anything close to the former relationship. Right. Because that's a betrayal, you know, and no matter that it was the result of a concerted lobbying effort on the narcissist's part, you know, they've taken the path of least resistance. They don't want to make waves. You know, they might know that the narcissist has a temper. They don't want to risk that anger, you know, but what happens is this attempt at neutrality or fairness or however you want to characterize it, it winds up enabling the narcissist. So they've become part of the narcissist fan base by default. Hmm. You know, do they know they're doing this? Like, is a narcissist consciously trying to play games with people and push people's buttons and and get amused by it? Well, you know, this is a really good question, Michelle. Um, And I've changed my mind about this over the years, too, just through protracted interaction. Hmm. You know, I tend to believe that, yes, narcissists are aware on some level some of them are really active tacticians you know they're schemers yes and if the situation currently lacks drama then they'll stir the pot just for fun you know it's entertaining and you know (sighs) crawling and manipulating i mean it's great fun to them and but on the other hand there's also ample evidence that suggests that the behavior is so ingrained that they perpetrate it subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. So I'm thinking about all of this stuff that you're sharing, and I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, personal relationships, love relationships that I've had. But I'm wondering if you could give us an example um, of some tactics that people might use at work, if there's someone out there struggling with a narcissist at work. Okay, well, a narcissist in the workplace is a special kind of hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can't. It's not like you could just run away. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you need that job. Maybe you don't have a lot of alternatives. You know, maybe the maybe this is the pinnacle of your career path, or right. maybe you know there are economic certain circumstances that preclude you from you know seeking another position or whatever, and so you you may feel kind of trapped. And, you know, all of the behaviors that we've talked about already, coercion, bullying, passive-aggressive communication, triangulation, enlistment of minions, um, covert sabotage, you know, they're all, they'll are all they all be present in one way or another at the workplace. They'll claim all the glory while you do the grunt work. Mm-hmm. If they're your supervisor, they may intimidate or verbally abuse you. If they're your equal, they'll do anything they can to promote themselves at your expense. And if you're supervising a narcissist, you're going to have to watch out for them sabotaging your authority and maybe, you know, grabbing your position. Oh, my God. I know, right? So how do you deal with this? What are you supposed to do? What are some strategies that people out there, whether it's in their love lives or it's an older sibling or a parent or whatever, um, somebody at work how do you deal with them? How do you get them to stop and to um, not no longer see you as their prey? Well, um, there are a couple of things that you can do aside from going completely no contact. And, you know, I believe that no contact is 
the quickest and most efficient way to defuse a relationship because you're essentially you're eliminating the relationship. It's over. Mm-hmm. No contact. Um, there's a there's a term you can Google it called gray rock. You know, this is where you meet every type of communication impassively with no response. So you maintain your boundaries. You block his phone, his or her phone. You get a restraining order if you need to. But the critical element is that you have to summon every last ounce of strength you have and cut this person out of your life. But if they're in your family or your workplace, it's going to be much harder. You know, for any number of reasons, you may have to maintain some sort of relationship with this person. And so my advice would be to remain as noncommittal as possible. You know, reduce the amount of contact to the minimum. Don't share a lot. Whatever you share about your personal self could be, be, let it be known. I mean, it, it will be used against you in one way or another they they store information and then they bring it up you know out of the blue and 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 mischaracterize it so maintain your equanimity at all costs don't allow yourself to be sucked into whatever the drama is if they try and push your buttons don't take the bait you know keep your boundaries firm and decide what the consequences are going to be if there are attempts to breach the boundaries and there will be so you've got to follow through And, you know, you're the adult here who is dealing with the emotional equivalent of a toddler. It's exhausting. It is exhausting. It really is. And when when we started this, when we started this episode, you said you were like, I was just so tired. And it's like, I understand that feeling so much. Um, and, And I could think of, you know, 10 different situations where I was dealing with this personality type. And so, you know, I mean, you can, you can just be, you can just spiral down into a depression if you're not careful. You know, that's the debilitating effect that all of yeah. this is going to have on and, you. You got to be good to yourself. Yeah. And I've actually um, gotten to a place where I'm just so frustrated, so overwhelmed by not by not feeling heard, by having things said to me that were very hurtful and purposely said, by having things that they knew about me brought back into my face. You know what I mean? Like all of that thing, like you said, storing information and finding myself get extremely upset, kind of, you know, having that that blues day where you just like, you know, hide under the covers kind of thing. And then that's their opportunity, I've noticed, when I look back at all my different situations, for them to hop right in as, oh, let me let me put the blanket on you. Let me help you. Let me make you feel better. Yes, I'm the only one who really understands you. But that was but they were the source of <laughs> all of this. It's like, <laughs> I mean, self-aware much? Not. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just... It, Finally, I think you just reach a point and it's the last straw. Right. You're done. Right. You know? And so, but it, and but before you even get there, I mean, some people, unfortunately, have to get to a point of um, things getting really, really, really ugly, um, whether it's in a family or, or at work, you know, it, it's very damaging. And so how do you, how do you follow through, like you said, when you put down the boundary, you put your foot down, you say no more of this, and then follow through? Okay. Well, at work, if the person is your boss, you've got to come to grips 
with the fact that perhaps you'd be better off elsewhere, mm-hmm. no matter where elsewhere is. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or So you might want to, if, if possible, maybe you could make a lateral move or you could get a reassignment if the narcissist is part of your team. Um, if you're supervising the narcissist, you've got to set boundaries, communicate consequences, and then be prepared to follow through. And it's not much different in a personal relationship. You have to consider that you are taking the reins and taking back your power. And so you're going to have to figure out what your boundaries are, communicate the boundaries like a broken record, maybe write even write yourself a script because they will pound and constantly come back at you because they know that they've penetrated your vulnerability before. And so, you know, they'll come at you with a different tactic or whatever. And this this is going to be the most emotionally draining fight of your life. But you have to summon the strength. You have to be consistent and you must follow through. And so that's where having knowledge and a support system is really going to be critical because you need to have sane elements in your life during all of this insanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remember for me, it was always... Um, I, I less experienced narcissists at work and more so in my love relationships. Um, but it was always my work that was the thing that was, you know, stable as well as my friendships outside of, you know, not mutual friends, but like just my friends. And that was what would keep me stable and, and know that it was best for me to make this decision to cut it off, you know. Right. And, you know, and, and you you may have those friends who say, finally you know mm-hmm. what can we do to help you or yeah. or you may have friends who say wow that person seems so nice i'm just not really understanding what happened yeah exactly and so and so you need to decide how much of that sort of thinking you're going to indulge because you're going to wind there're going to be days where you feel like i I just have the strength to do such and such. I can't accommodate anybody else's needs other than mine mm. at this point. Or I need to I need to ensure that my children are protect, are protected, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that's my focus and my priority right now. And you know, if there are other needy individuals in the periphery, you're going to have to make some difficult decisions, particularly if you've been the nurturing caretaker, you know, empath, empath, taking on all of everybody's issues, you know, that's going to have to stop. Yep. Because you'll drown. Yep. And I've been known to do that. You know, I'm always that person that people call for help. (laughs) And while I care deeply, care deeply, deeply. Um, it is so important. Um, I think some of the the gift that I got out of, you know, being part of a relationship like with this narcissist empath dynamic is that now I'm understanding how to create boundaries faster. Exactly. And better. Exactly. And it's not necessarily something, you know, that we're taught in no. our family. You know, and um, and for for whatever reason, you know, I mean, there may there may be a narcissistic dynamic in our family of origin, and that's what we learned. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing that I think it's important to point out is that if you are searching 
for professional support, you know, a therapist or an attorney or whatever, that you there's not as much familiarity with these situations out there as you might expect. And so you might have to shop around a little bit. There are a sizable number of therapists, for example, who are vested in what some people like to call the reconciliation complex. Mm. You know, and so your therapist might be advocating that you reconcile with a narcissistic spouse or partner when it actually or or parent or child when it actually might be the most harmful thing for you to do. And likewise, maybe you'll find yourself up against a narcissist in family or civil court, and you could be underrepresented by attorneys, judges, and even advocates who are unfamiliar with the personality or even allow themselves to be snowed. And so this type of situation can magnify the sense of isolation and despair it, it can cost you a lot of money. And so make sure that when you're enlisting professional support, that the people you employ to help you have an experienced understanding of all of the havoc that this personality can wreak. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So where can listeners go? What are some general resources? You mentioned at the top of the show, um, Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. What else? There's, um, you know, fortunately, there are so many more resources and so much more awareness than when we first wrote the user's guide seven years ago. And um, my personal favorites, and you can Google these names, uh, it, one is Lynn Namka, N-A-M-K-A, Ph.D. And she actually... Um, uh, I think she's the one who actually coined the term Nardar, um, you know, which, which is what, which is your radar, you know, oh, having Nardar, <laughs> yeah, uh, Nardar out, you know, my Nardar is on a uh, high alert right now. Yeah, mine is too, you know, and some people call it a BS detector or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? But, you know, uh, you know, pay, pay attention to those instincts, you know, those, your instincts have now been honed by in- experience mm-hmm. and those red flags are, are waving. <laughs> so pay attention. Another good person online is Linda Martinez-Louis, Martinez-L-E-W-I. Um, she's done some really good research and um, quality practical writing on the subject and Probably my favorite is Dr. Carol McBride, K-A-R-Y-L, Carol McBride. And she is a very compassionate expert on the subject of daughters and sons of narcissistic mothers, you know, so kind of that sub-niche. And one of her books is Will I Ever Be Good Enough? I think that's the title of it. And, you know, it's just a fantastic exploration that you can undertake about the elements in your own psyche, you know, that have contributed to these issues. Um, If you're looking for online validation, you might try our Facebook page, The Narcissist. Um, if you're involved in a co-parenting or divorce situation, there's a really good resource structure in what's called One Mom's Battle. And Tina Swithin is the, uh, the author of a book by the same name. And there's now a network of Facebook communities that are organized geographically. So, you know, that gives you some on boots on the ground kind of support. Mm-hmm. And, and also, uh, of course, your books 
um, on Amazon. Uh, you wrote, you co-wrote the Narcissist a User's Guide, which you said was your first foray into this topic. Right. And then the Narcissist at Work. And now when is the, uh, the divorce one coming out? Oh, well, the divorce one has been out since the first of the year. It's called the Narcissist You Divorce. And it's kind of a quick and dirty little guide to get into the mindset because this is the biggest battle you'll probably fight in your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can get really bogged down with um, a murky psyche and you'll, you'll be confused and everything. And this book is just sort of like... Um, a little bit of a shake mm. or, you know, kind a of a wake up call. Yeah. Kind of a little slap, you know, a loving little, Hey, like, wake hey. up. Now. Yeah. Hey, hello. You, you know, you need to get a grip. Here's how you, here's how you do it. Here's what you can expect. And so the narcissist you divorce can, um, in, instructions and information on how to download it. Um, it's an inexpensive downloadable PDF. You can find that on the narcissist Facebook page. Mm, great. And then I'm just going to mention one other re resource. It's an excellent web blog, and it's funny as all get out, you know, and um, be aware, language not safe for work, but it, it's called chumplady.com, mm. and she writes about um, being married to a cheating spouse. And, you know, so many of, che I mean, I would say probably almost everybody who cheats is behaving narcissistically, you know, whether they're full-blown NPD or not. But I'm telling you, she, I read that weblog every day, and um, it, it's it's the sort of hilarity that comes with pathos, you know. I mean, it's it, some of the stuff is so sad that you just have to develop this macabre sense of humor. Mm -hmm. To, to deal with it. And so I, I think it's an excellent resource for, for those people who are dealing with betrayal and that sort of thing. Great. I love all this. Oh, boy. I, I'm just kind of like almost reliving all of my situations as, as I, I feel so justified, though. <laughs> I feel validated, I mean. Yeah, validation yeah. is a wonderful thing. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, as far as final thoughts go, I, I think it's important to understand that the effects of this relationship can color your interactions for the rest of your life. And that doesn't have to be a life sentence by any means. But, you know, you may have post-traumatic traumatic stress disorder or similar physical symptoms. You know, you could be fearful of initiating new relationships. You know, maybe you're stuck thinking of yourself as a victim or unworthy or any number of things. But for the most part, I think it helps us all to view ourselves as being strong survivors of this kind of relationship. You know, and if there's a silver lining, maybe this experience can be the catalyst to do deep inner work, you know, and you can you can vow to break this toxic destruction, you know, this cycle of toxicity. And, you know, additionally, if 
like me, you have children, it can be an opportunity to strengthen them and leave this world a happier, healthier place. So I like to say, even though we're all members of the club that nobody wanted to join, (laughs) there's lots of good that can come out of the experience too. And your fellow club members can be a source of strength and validation. I love that so much. And, you know, it's uh, it's definitely eye-opening. Um, it does definitely start you down a path of self-growth, um, taking a look at yourself and, and working out some kinks within yourself and um, and gaining that amazing amount of strength for going forward. So, um, you know, I always try to look at the gift in the, in the lesson. <laughs> the gift here is awareness and strength. Yeah. Betsy, it has been amazing to have you on the show today. And you, you know so much about this topic. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that you took time to spend with us on Nothing Off Limits to share it with our listeners. Thank you. Oh, you're entirely welcome. It's been really enjoyable getting to know you, Michelle. And I just hope that maybe there's just a little nugget for somebody out there who's struggling in this type of a situation. Me too. Thank you again, Betsy. Bye-bye. Coming up next on Difficult People Week on NOL, Dr. Roberta Shaler, the relationship help doctor, explains what a hijackal is. Even if you don't know this term, you have certainly encountered one at work or at home. Come on back for that. We're going to have two parts with Dr. Shaler. Part one, the general explanation of a hijackal. And part two, how hijackals act in the courtroom. Difficult People Week on NOL. Come on back. Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at ladyfoxentertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to ladyfoxentertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.